St. Clair of Assisi once said, love that cannot suffer is not worthy of that name. Welcome to the 39th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because love is deeply and truly linked with suffering, my friends. Anyone who says differently is selling something. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I want to speak a little bit about being triggered and the way we can respond when someone tells us something we've said or done is triggering. This came up for me during Holy Week when a popular Catholic influencer posted pictures of homemade pretzels in the shape of a noose to signify the death of Judas. I was taken aback, to be quite honest, uh, that someone would think that to make this into a crafty snack thing for kids and politely and privately brought it up that I think the post should be reconsidered because it's triggering for those of us who have been affected by suicide. The response was kind of like, uh, that was wasn't my intention, so maybe sensitive people should just avoid social media right now. And that was where the conversation ended. This made me think about the whole idea of being triggered and what the best response would be when someone tells us something we've said or done was triggering for them or might be triggering for a certain group of people. It seems like the response is typically, hey, it's not my fault if people find this triggering and I have a right to say and do whatever I want. Two frames of reference came to me when I was trying to figure out a better way for us to respond. And I include myself in this because I've most definitely tweeted things that people have found triggering and it's 100% easier for me to brush it off as them being too sensitive than to actually engage it and think critically and respond appropriately. First, how do we act when something like this comes up in our most cherished relationships? If I say something to my wife and she says, wow, that really hurt my feelings, is it better for me to respond by saying, well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, so this sounds like a you problem, or is it better for me to respond by saying, I'm sorry, and I'm grateful you brought this to my attention so I can be a better husband. While I sadly choose option one way too often, it's obvious that option two is the better path forward, and I'm just saying we should carry this idea into our online interactions. Second, one of the traits of Christ comes to mind when trying to figure out the best way to handle a situation like this. In Matthew 11, Jesus said those famous words, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for yourselves. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as the life, he is the person we should seek to imitate, and therefore we need to be meek. If someone tells you something that you've said or done was triggering for them, the meek thing to do is to acknowledge it, apologize, and edit yourself. In the case of social media, deleting the post, or perhaps posting something noting that you apologize and you made a mistake. That's being meek. I pray that I can figure out a way to be open enough to Christ to follow my own advice. On to the next topic, perinatal mental health, an area of mental health and perinatal care that is known to lack awareness and need a ton of more attention and funding. This is glaringly obvious to those of us in the field. There's a dearth of mental health screening and general awareness around mental health symptoms in the world of perinatal care. This includes tracking that people are suffering from postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, or even depression and anxiety during pregnancy. And in the mental health world, there tends to be an approach to women who are pregnant and breastfeeding of, uh, let's just wait until you're out of this phase to address the issue. And there's a whole lot of unnecessary suffering going on because of this. Healthcare finance lays out the issue that was spotlighted in a recent report. A group known as Postpartum Support International says one 
in seven of the four million women who give birth each year in the United States will experience perinatal depression, but less than 30% seek or receive care. Disorders that can affect mothers during this period include depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and bipolar disorders. Screening for such disorders, the report says, has not yet become universal or standard, and referrals, diagnosis, and access to treatment are not always coordinated or provided. In addition, health payers may either limit access to services and treatment or not provide it at all. If you've experienced postpartum mental health concerns, surely you've noticed this. Typically, we have to raise the red flag ourselves because providers don't ask the questions or they sweep emotional feelings under the rug as minor, like calling depression the baby blues instead of naming it postpartum depression and responding appropriately. And even if they do acknowledge your concern, the services provided are often lackluster and perhaps not even linked to the specific issue. Being referred to a general depression group, for example, instead of services geared directly at new moms. So if you're the praying type, please pray that this changes in our world. And if you're the advocating type, please join me on the soapbox and shout from the rooftops that we need adequate mental health care for expectant and new mothers and we won't rest until it's in place. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Servant of God, Chiara Corabello Patrio. Born in 1984 in Rome, Chiara was the youngest of two children and met her husband on a vacation to Croatia in 2002 when she decided to stop by and visit the pilgrimage site in Medjugorje. They were married in 2008, and one month after their wedding, the couple found out they were expecting. However, the first ultrasound revealed that their baby daughter had anencephaly. Due to that diagnosis, their first baby, Maria Grazia, died about a half an hour after her birth on June 10, 2009. When the couple found they were expecting again, they went in for the ultrasound and discovered their beautiful baby son had bilateral renal agenesis, meaning he was missing both kidneys, which leads to underdeveloped lungs and a prognosis of death shortly after birth as well. David Giovanni was born on June 24, 2010. He was baptized and died 38 minutes later. When Chiara became pregnant with the third child, the couple was over the moon to find the baby was perfectly healthy. However, in the fifth month of pregnancy, Chiara noticed a lesion on her tongue that when tested was found to be cancerous. She kept her focus on her child, declining any treatment that might risk his life. Their son Francesco was born on May 30th, 2011 in perfect health, and Chiara was ready to engage in treatment right away, but it was too late. Her condition was terminal. She died on June 13th, 2012. My wife and I have a connection with this incredible woman because, as many of you know, our son Luke had the same diagnosis as her son David. And while we typically close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, instead I'd like to share something Kiara wrote about her son. Who is David? A little one who received as a gift from God a very important role, that of knocking down the great Goliaths that are inside each of us, knocking down our power as parents as we make decisions about him and for him. He showed us that he would grow and that he was like this because God had the need for him to be like this. 
He knocked down our right to desire a child that was for us because he was only for God. He knocked down our desire of those who called him a child of consolation, the one who would make us forget the sorrow of Maria. He knocked down the trust in the statistic that claimed we had the same probability of having a healthy child as anyone else. He unmasked the magical faith of the one who thinks he knows God and then asks him to be like a candy vending machine. He demonstrated that God performs miracles, but not with our logical limitations, because God is something greater than our desires. He knocked down the idea of those who seek not salvation of the soul in God, but only that of the body. Of all those who ask God for a happy and simple life that does not at all resemble the life of the cross that Jesus left us, David, so little, hurled himself with strength against our idols and cried out with strength in the face of those who did not wish to see. He forced so many to run for shelter in order to not recognize their defeat. And I thank God for my having been defeated by little David. I thank God that the, the Goliath that was inside me is now finally dead, thanks to David. No one has succeeded in convincing me that what has happened was a misfortune that it derived from the fact that we were distancing ourselves from God, even if only unconsciously. I thank God that my Goliath is finally dead and that my eyes are free to look beyond and to follow God without having fear of being what I am. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous is here to kick us off. I'm not naturally an upbeat person when my loved ones are sad or scared. I don't seem to be able to do much except listen. I'm a great listener, but sometimes I know people need more. I've needed more. And I'm kind of a downer when I talk. I'd like to be able to help lift their spirits when they're feeling dejected. Can I learn skills to be a better encourager? Anonymous, I'm so glad you reached out with this question. And let's all pray together for Anonymous and everyone who wants to help their loved ones in the best way possible that the Holy Spirit will give us the words. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. First off, I've got to say it's absolutely awesome that you're a great listener. While I know we need more than that at times, we need a good listener more than we realize. As a therapist, being a good listener is like 95% of my job because most of the time people know what they need to do and what route they need to take. They just don't know they know it. And letting people unspool their thoughts while listening really helps them to see the path forward. But to your question, yes, we can all learn skills to be a better encourager and a better communicator in general to help meet the needs of those around us. The website Bustle, which seems to be like a pop psychology buzzfeed of some kind, has a couple of pieces of advice that I think are really helpful. Finding out what someone needs is really the big first step. The best way to do this is to ask, how can I help you when you're suffering? Next, get in the habit of reminding the person that you care about them. And back to my own advice, being willing to say that you want to help but don't know how, that's a great skill. Being able to admit that you don't know what to do or say, it's so much better than trying to make it up on the fly and come up with something supportive let them guide you. We'll be praying for you, but be sure to keep up being a good listener. It's so rare these days. Nick's stopped by next. I was wondering if you could offer any advice regarding starting or keeping a schedule or routine. 
both in general and while we're stuck at home. For context, my mood is super mercurial. The slightest thing can send relatively decent moods straight into a ditch in a heartbeat. And when that happens, any gains I might have made while trying to build or break habits just disappears. I've tried all the standard advice, starting small, sticky notes everywhere, alarms on phones, etc. But I've never managed to stick with a real routine for more than a couple of weeks. Now with both my son and I at home all the time and me not working, I'm the only real arbiter of routines and schedules in the house and it's just not working. Let's pray for Nick's and everyone wanting to develop a healthy routine but finding it so difficult to do so. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time whatsoever, you know exactly how I'm going to start off this answer. I think it is so important to cut ourselves some slack. We are so often our worst enemy, getting down on ourselves for not being perfect and then falling into a spiral of shame over the smallest of setbacks. We've got to go easy on ourselves. I'm similar to you, actually, in that when something goes wrong, I lose it for the whole day, give up on everything and become moody. And in reality, I have to realize I can restart the day at any point to re focus, leave my past behind, and try to get my routine back on track again. A great way to do this is to stop what we're doing and pray for Jesus's help, or to stop what we're doing and take a quick walk. Anything that we find helpful to get us out of our spinning minds and reset. Starting small is great advice, but let's focus in on what that means exactly. When we're trying to put a routine together, it's so easy to do something like, I want to have a healthy routine that has me eating at the right times, praying more, exercising, and, and, and. That's a recipe for failure. Instead, we should pick one thing. I know it's so hard, but we got to just pick one thing that we want to work on. Remember our rule for goal setting, and this goes for the goals of setting up a routine in our lives as well. We have to be smart, S-M-A-R-T. All of our goals for getting our routine going here have to be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound. Specific means selecting one thing we're going to add and not just have a healthier routine. Measurable, we have to be able to look back and see if we met our goal. Wake up at 6 a.m. and start with a prayer, for example, rather than something more amorphous. Achievable, again, it has to be something we can accomplish, not something too big. Relevant, our goals need to pertain to something that help us personally, not something we read in a self-help book that doesn't make sense for us, but we want to do it anyways because someone said it was good. And time-bound, we have to try it for a week and see where we're at. Not just think we're changing forever with the flip of a switch. One small step at a time. Best of luck. Anonymous wraps us up. I've been reading about deliverance ministry. At what point do you differentiate between spiritual attack and something like mental illness? When I look back on the days of my high anxiety before seeking treatment, I can see a bit of both. Or is it that there is spiritual attack within mental illness? This is a fantastic question and one a lot of us have. Let's start, as always, by praying for every one of us suffering from mental health issues and those suffering from spiritual attack or both. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.
This is an issue that requires a lot of balance. On the one hand, we do not want to over-spiritualize our mental health struggles. We want to remember that mental health symptoms arise from our genetic background and from our circumstances and experiences in life, traumatic events, family of origin issues, etc. On the other hand, while we're not over-spiritualizing our mental health struggles, we never want to downplay, one, the potential of a spiritual attack impacting our thoughts and emotions, and especially, two, the saving power and miraculous healing of our Lord. That's a tough line to walk, but we try our best. As a scientific, skeptical kind of guy, I tend to look at these issues almost 100% in the realm of mental health and needing treatment for that mental health, just to frame where I'm coming from. But I do also think that the devil is real and could use our emotions and thoughts to attack us and weaken us. Most definitely. So where do we draw the line? Well, as you mentioned, looking back on your own journey through anxiety before seeking treatment, you see both. And I think you're absolutely right here and underscore the importance of listening to those who are going through an experience or have gone through an experience and trusting their gut about the balance of mental health struggle and spiritual attack that they saw in their lives. One way to sort it out, uh, to sort out what you're going through, however, is to seek help. Seek out someone who knows a thing or two about mental health. Seek out someone who knows a thing or two about spiritual attack, because with their expertise, they'll know it when they see it. I wouldn't question someone's perception of the situation, and I think that's what's so absolutely critical. When facing a mental health experience that challenges your ability to maintain your well-being, to pray like healing depends 100% on God, and to reach out for help from professionals like healing depends depends 100% on support like therapy and or medication. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. <laughs>